Welcome to episode 106 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? It was a good week. Yep. Back to work, um, which, you know, brings some needed routine to my life, but uh, the weather was good. You know, it's it's unseasonably warm here, which is really nice and uh, was able to get out for a couple of observing sessions. Um, so that was okay. How was, uh, how was your week? Yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't too bad. I mean, it's, uh, sometimes the weather here, it's funny. Um, I think definitely different than, than anywhere else I've lived in that you can get a forecast that looks terrible. Like, I mean, our forecast has not looked good at all. And then, uh, it seems like we just have these evenings that are, uh, like good enough to go out and kind of test some gear, poke around the sky. Um, you know, gee, even yesterday it was supposed to be, um, cloudy maybe with some rain showers and then you know it didn't look very good in the evening and by uh, by the time it was dark uh, went to go out for the evening walk and uh, you know the sky was like good like good enough and so I did, did some astronomy too but looks like you get another another Kellner didn't you have a 25 millimeter Kellner before oh yeah yeah I, I do have a well you have my 25 millimeter Takahashi <laughs> so you had Kellner. to go and buy look if you really needed it that bad you didn't have to loan it to me <laughs> yeah yeah this this is all your fault Chris <laughs> well there's there's two 25 millimeter Kellners that um people rave about online and they're quite rare one is the Pentex SMC 25 millimeter Kellner uh it's a 0.965 inch eyepiece and it it was released in line with their SMC ortho set Hmm. Um, so people say that it's outstanding. And then this Nikon is even more rare. And so there's, there's fewer reports of it, but, you know, similarly people say like this Nikon will blow your socks like right off. Like the, the performance is outstanding, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Um, so need to get my old timey sock garters out next time we go observing. Well, yeah, yeah. Strap like duct tape them on or do whatever you have to. You don't want to lose them. Yeah, um, maybe go but... stock free and just wear a pair of loafers. <laughs> now you're thinking. <laughs> um, anyway, opportunity came up to buy one uh, at a pretty good price uh, on Buy E, uh, which we referenced a couple episodes ago and received the eyepiece and, and tested it out. Um, but what's interesting, there is a kind of a funny thread on Cloudy Nights saying, you know, post your eyepieces that are above 20 millimeters. So I started thinking about, well, what eyepieces do I have above 20 millimeters? And I have a log jam at 25. Um, I have way too many 25 Ooh. millimeter eyepieces. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Uh, and I they're even all have different, one of your 25 millimeter. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, there's the TAC Kellner, there's the Nikon Kellner. I've got the Zeiss Huygens. I got the TMB Zeiss Ortho. I have a TAC Ortho. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing any. That might... That might be it. And then I guess I have the 24 millimeter panoptic, which is kind of close, but anyway. Um, yeah, that's the, the story of the Nikon. Huh. Well, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your, uh, your observing sessions. So did two this week. Uh, one was a daytime session with the hydrogen alpha telescope looking at the sun. Um, it was really good. Uh, this was, uh, this was Friday afternoon. And, um, you know, the scene during the daytime is often not very good. You know, you get all sorts of like, um, uh, convection currents and heat rising and all sorts of things happening in the, in the atmosphere, yeah. um, th that really reduces the seeing typically in the daytime. But yeah. it seems like lately the daytime seeing has been really, really good. And, mm. uh, the solar observing has been phenomenal. Uh, again, you know, lots of prominences along the edge of the sun, but the surface detail, like I find that's when you can really tell the seeing, um, is, is, is quite good for hydrogen alpha is when yeah. the, the surface details really come out because those are a little more fleeting and, and there's like, there's lots of different sort of observing techniques to try to tease those out. Yeah. Um, you know, nighttime observers are familiar with averted vision that works really well on the sun, but, um, just like relaxing your eye at the eyepiece is so important for hydrogen alpha observing and like not trying to see too much. Just, it's kind of a weird thing to explain, but just, just sort of gaze, you know, and then as the eye relaxes, you can usually pull in a little more detail. 
and uh, just all sorts of, um, uh, you know, markings and detail all over the surface. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and what I've been using lately too, uh, is a, a 25% Lumicon neutral density filter, oh, yeah. um, in the path, because, you know, even the hydrogen alpha, at least with my telescope is a little bright. And I find that the brightness sometimes washes out the detail. So toning down that brightness, uh, can really help with the, the H alpha observing, yeah. but, you know, just sort of, we started talking a little bit about Kellner's, so maybe I'll add a little bit more to it. Um, I, I just keep going back to the Kellner's for hydrogen alpha. Like it is really astonishing to me how much better the view is with them, huh. you know, like starting with orthos or even the TMB super monos, but I, I keep going back to the Kellner's and, and just lower focal lengths, like 20 millimeters is just outstanding. And, yeah. um, at least for the surface, like if you really want to blow up or like, you know, uh, magnify a prominence, then you know, obviously you go with the, the shorter focal length eyepieces, but I tell you, uh, with that little telescope, it's a 35 millimeter, uh, aperture and the focal length, I think is like, it's an F 10, I believe. Yeah. So it's a tiny little telescope, but that's all you need for the sun because of how bright it is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the views were just outstanding. So anyway, that was the, uh, the solar session. Yeah. But um, now, now the way it looks through these scopes though, so is th this is one of the ones that shows it. It's very red. It's like almost like a blood orange red, right? Yeah, yeah. And then on the surface, what you see. So if anybody's looked through uh, just a regular telescope at, at the sun before, like with uh, what we call like a white light uh, solar filter, sometimes it looks like a piece of uh, foil. It is not a piece of foil <laughs> over, the, <laughs> over the front of the telescope. So do not do that. Um, and, and what you see with a white light like a regular telescope is just, um, it might sort of be like a pale yellow. There's some filters that are very yellowish um, and you'll see some sunspots and you might see another little bit of detail, but with these uh, hydrogen alpha scopes, um, which I'd never looked through before until I think until I met you, um, you see this, um, this very red uh, disc and then you see all these little, um, permutations in it just like little waves and I mean it's all over the sun the whole sun has uh, structure and detail to it um, and it's rather surprising because if you've looked at the sun before it kind of just looks like a pale disc with a little bit of detail here and there uh, in a couple small tiny little spots but then with these uh, hydrogen alpha scopes um, pretty much the whole sun is alive and you really get the sense that it's kind of that it's kind of you know the surface is kind of moving a bit you can see like uh, detail and some of the structure change over the course of, of a few hours. Uh, it's kind of surprising to, uh, to watch it, uh, to watch it through one of those scopes. So, uh, anyway, just, just thought I'd sort of mention it to people. Yeah. yeah you know, and they're like little hexagons or something, aren't they? Uh, what, sorry, what are hexagons? The details, the details on the sun, oh. like little circles and hexagons and yeah. Yeah, they, they are. Um, like with my little telescope, I'm not able to discern that level of detail, but you know, a lot of the, or some of the photographs that you'll see that are, you know, I, I guess a little bit more processed stacked and, you know, all the stuff that goes into astrophotography. Um, they do display like that sort of honeycomb appearance yeah. almost like it looks like, uh, yeah, like you say, a bunch of hexagons, but you um, still get yeah. some of that. Like you do get like a level of detail though. Oh yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. You do. Um, it, it's incredible. Like I really encourage any, like if you've never looked through a hydrogen alpha telescope, uh, just do a, an internet search for hydrogen alpha images, um, and, and try to get them from like, uh, amateur telescopes like Lunt or Coronado. Um, and that'll give you an idea of what you can see at the eyepiece. And often those images are, you know, like I said, uh, a bit processed. So you see a little bit more in the photograph, but you know, at times it's actually not that much more, uh, in the photograph, uh, in terms of detail than what you see with the eye. Um, it's almost similar to the moon in that, you know, when you look at the moon, there's just an endless amount of detail and contrast and structure. Um, the sun's not too different, um, with hydrogen alpha. It's just that, uh, like the seeing and the transparency, um, all of that stuff impacts the view of the sun way more than it does the moon. Um, but you know, I bought that little solar telescope 
probably, oh gee, I don't even know. Like Lunt had just established themselves. And this was, I think, one of the first telescopes that they offered. Um, so I don't know if that would be 10 years ago. Um, but that's one of my favorite astronomy purchases just because I can do it during the daytime. And, you know, if we're, if we're working in the yard or, or, you know, it's just a casual weekend, I often set the, the solar telescope up in the morning and I just leave it on the back patio all day. And I don't spend any great amount of time at the eyepiece, but I come back multiple times throughout the day. Like you said, Chris, just to see how the view has changed a little bit and, uh, you know, prominence will evolve. Uh, some of the solar surface details, uh, will change, uh, over the course of the day. And it's just fun to observe all of that. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I'm just looking here now. And I mean, they, it looks like their starting telescope is a 60 millimeter now. Well, they have a, they have a 50 and I think they just released a, a new one that is maybe 40 millimeters. Okay. Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, Coronado has site. Okay. Yeah. Coronado has one called um, the PST, the personal solar telescope. And it's very similar to mine in terms of it's really small. It's sort of like your beginner's uh, hydrogen alpha telescope. But I've looked through, like I've looked through a lot of other hydrogen alpha telescopes of larger aperture. Um, there's another thing called double stacking where you, you have two hydrogen alpha filters on the telescope. Um, and what that does is it lowers the angstrom rating and the angstrom rating is what allows you to see more detail. So I've looked through double stacks and I tell you, like, unless you're really into photography um, of the sun, you don't need anything more than a, like than the Coronado uh, PST or like my little 35 millimeter telescope. Yeah. I'm um, looking the views are just outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 40 millimeter and they sell it. Now I'm not sure what the difference is, but they sell it in three different grades a B 500, which they say is a five millimeter yeah. Yeah. a B 600 and a B 1200. I'm not sure what these, these millimeters mean. They're not, they're, they're millimeters of light. I'm guessing not, uh, not aperture millimeters. Yeah. So with a solar telescope, there's, there's uh, with an H alpha telescope, there's two aspects to it. There's the H alpha filter, which is at the front. Um, but then the diagonal is not a normal diagonal. In fact, you can't use like a, a nighttime diagonal in there uh, or I think you'll uh, like you'll cause permanent eye damage. Mm. Um, so there's a blocking filter in the diagonal that comes with your solar telescope. Um, and the B number with Lunt is the blocking filter diameter. So um, a B500 is small. I have the B600 uh, with okay. mine. And there's a big difference between how much light comes through. Oh, okay. um, so like you kind of want the biggest one that your wallet can afford. Um, the B1200 uh, would be ideal, but... Um, it's quite a bit more money. And honestly, the views with the B600 are just outstanding in my opinion. So okay. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, but basically this, this new Lunt 40 millimeter is my telescope, just like the most modern version of it. Yeah. Um, and five millimeters more aperture. Yeah. Um, looks good. You know, and the angstrom rating of 0.65 is really outstanding. Like that, that's uh, the lower the number, the more uh, detail you'll see. And um, like, I think the PST might be like a 0.8 or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, so it doesn't sound like a big difference, but uh, it certainly will enable you to see a little bit more detail. So. Yeah, just looking here, um, runs from approximately 600 to 900 American dollars. So uh, you're looking at around $1,000 Canadian minimum to kind of probably get into this and ship to the door and all that stuff. Now, do you need like special um, eyepieces for this? Like you say, it comes with a diagonal. Looks like it comes with a solar finder. Comes with a helical focuser uh, just before the diagonal. And then I see they also have like special Lunt eyepieces as well. But you're just using old Kellners, it looks like, or sounds like. Yeah, you, you can use any of your uh, existing uh, astronomy eyepieces. Um, what I found is the more complex the eyepiece, uh, the worse it performs with hydrogen alpha. And like, this isn't like me being kind of, uh, you know, nitpicky with subtle differences. 
Um, like wide field eyepieces, not good at all. Like I, I really, really don't enjoy the view. Um, zooms, not bad, but, uh, nothing really beats like a three or four element eyepiece, like use wow. Colossals, Kellners, Orthos, um, you know, the, wh- whatever kind of encompasses the field of view that you want, I suppose. But because you're not really like, you know, it's about the same size of the moon as the moon, about half a degree across. So you don't really need a wide field to take in the whole surface of the sun. Right. And even, you know, if you do higher magnifications and you have to pan around it, um, that's fine too. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely simple eyepieces. And usually what, if you get into it, um, there's always a sweet spot in these telescopes, depending how you tune. Like there's a little tuning dial on the front where the I hydrogen alpha that. filter is. Yeah. yeah. And that just changes the tilt of the filter. And what that does is it either brings in more prominence detail or more surface detail. And you can kind of set it in the middle where all of that's visible. Um, but anyway, depending on how that is set, there's a sweet spot where, you know, you might not see any prominences and then you move the, like you move the sun where it's positioned in the field of view. And if it hits the sweet spot, all of a sudden these prominences just appear. Um, so if you get into hydrogen alpha or you ever look through a hydrogen alpha telescope, um, one thing to try is just nudge the telescope around a little bit. So the sun is kind of moving around in the field of view and you'll probably see some things appear and some other things disappear just because you're, you know, in and out of the sweet spot where it's tuned. Yeah. Huh. Very cool. Yeah. These are kind of neat. Uh, yeah. I, to be honest, I, I've sort of had them on my to buy list, like something like this for a long time. Cause just fine. Like putting a solar filter on the white light. Um, yeah. It's just not, not as, as sort of thrilling as, as using one of these scopes. Um, so yeah, there, there we go with, with friends like Shane who needs a mortgage, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll, I'll help you spend money. <laughs> um, tough. yeah, this, this new Lunt, I'm kind of intrigued. I should look into this one. Mine, uh, you cannot use a bino viewer with it. And, you know, I'm hoping to buy a bino viewer here at some point. Um, that would be, cause I think, uh, hydrogen alpha with a bino viewer would just be the most incredible thing or one of the most incredible things through a telescope. Um, so I might look to upgrade or, or at least change my hydrogen alpha to something that would accommodate a bino viewer at some point. So I'll have to see if this new 40 millimeter does that. That might be the answer. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm almost excited to get one now too. I mean, and, and the other thing is here and it's tough for me to resist my, my uh my early days and that is that uh you where i come from you just don't see the sun that much so <laughs> if yeah, you bought a yeah. solar telescope i remember someone bought one and i was like I, and I looked through it it's one of the psds early days and i was like oh that's neat but you know like we'd be we'd be looking at the sun and then it would cloud over and then looking at the sun and then it was more frustrating than anything and then of course i got a sunburn right and i was like i don't like getting sunburns yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, and the nice thing too, like when we go uh, to our dark site observing, we're camping out for the weekend and we're usually pretty low key during the day because we're saving our energy for staying up all night. Right. Um, and occasionally while we've been out there, you know, I'll set up the lunt and just leave it out there all day. Cause it gives us something else to do during the daytime too, rather yeah. than just sitting around. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm just looking at it now. They've, they, they've got a, lunt has a package deal with a with the six millimeter filter or whatever the blocking filter plus um let's see it says it comes with a cg4 tripod dovetail soul searcher comes with a hard case and a baseball hat what yeah. i never got a hat yeah. <laughs> and that that'll run you 1200 bucks and this is for the 50 millimeter yeah it comes with a cg4 tripod and everything that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good deal. Cause that's the 50 millimeter and it comes oh, okay. with, looks, looks, it comes with an IP zoom eyepiece. I don't know what the zoom eyepiece is. It's a, it's a lunt says, so I see 7.2, yep. 53 degrees. I don't know what that goes up or down to, but the, the lunt zooms are nice. I've used them before. Um, yeah, they're a good eyepiece. What's the angstrom rating on the 50? Um, let's see. 
Let's see. It wasn't, it was 0.75, I think. I was looking at another page. So, so would this scope then not be preferred over the, it's, so this one's a 50 millimeter F7 with a 0.75 angstrom bandpass. The other one was a 40 millimeter F10 with a 0.65. Yeah. And does the 50 millimeter have the pressure tuner? It does. Yeah. I personally, I would wait for the 40 millimeter. Um, I, I actually had the 50 millimeter for a short period of time uh, with the pressure tuner. Um, and that thing is heavy. Like, Oh, really? Uh, oh, I can't remember what the weight was. And, and like, not that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to lift. It's just for mounting concerns or purposes. Um, like my little lunt is probably a couple pounds with everything in it. Like this 40 millimeter says it's 2.8 pounds. And I'm guessing the 50 is at least two times that, if not more, um, so it's a heavy little telescope, six pounds. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So, you know, that aspect and, you know, if you do use Kellners, uh, because again, I believe they're phenomenal, you want probably an F10 over an F7 as well. It'll just be a little easier on the eyepiece, a little sharper. Yeah. Um, and, and, and do not underestimate the difference, uh, even like 0.1 of an angstrom makes, uh, it'll help you see a little more detail. And, um, again, I just, the aperture, yeah, I don't know if it really gives you that much of a boost. So, yeah. Like you were saying, the sun is, the sun's bright already. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Very cool. Yeah. It says it's on the forties on back order. I guess this must be like a newer telescope and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. free shipping in the States, of course, <laughs> as of course, always yeah. here yeah. in Canada, not so much. Yeah. Well, that's cool. There we go. Yeah. Some, some good solar, uh, observing advice. Yeah. I really, I've, I've really enjoyed looking through yours in the past and keep thinking I should just, uh, bite the bullet and, uh, and pick up a proper solar telescope considering how often is, uh, it's clear here to, uh, to actually look at the sun. Uh, that's yep. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to yeah. think about it too, like you're into, you know, if you buy, if you buy a white light solar filter, like a really good one, you know, yeah, they're only 50 or 60 bucks. And I bought some over the years and, wear out and you know whatever and then you buy another one so you're kind of spending a few hundred dollars over the course of you know uh eight or ten years anyway at least i am and uh and and so you know if this is only like 600 bucks us then uh, you're like about a third of the way there and and then this is a completely different beast altogether for looking at the sun i feel anyway so hundred percent like i've had white light filters since pretty much my entry into astronomy and aside from like the only time I really pull those out is like if there's an annular solar eclipse or like a, a real prominent sunspot that people are talking about. But like I would never pull out the white filter on a Saturday just to have a look at the sun. No. You know, like just wasn't that engaging. Whereas, like I mentioned, the hydrogen alpha is out every weekend over, you know, during the warmer months um, that it's clear out because it yeah. is engaging and I love looking at the sun cause it's just different every time. So, um, yeah. totally different experience. Yeah. Cool. 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 So I see we're, uh, getting lots of downloads We're over 32,000 downloads today, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Thank you everyone for listening. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild, uh, to think. And we're, I see we're often passing like 400 downloads, um, per episode. So, uh, yeah, nice. yeah. Kind of, kind of surprising. So, uh, let's see what else I, I did some spring cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny when you're texting me about this equipment, you had no memory or you forgot you owned and now you're just rediscovering. <laughs> I don't even know so, why. so what all did you find? Well, so I'm not sure if I mentioned, I, I think I texted you on this thing. This was last week because I was looking for a box because I, I made you up that care package of a, of a couple big eye pieces and some sketching gear. And by yep. the way, I'm looking forward to your sketches. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm worried about that now. It's like, all right, I guess I have to draw something. <laughs> I meant, I meant to, and I, but I don't know where I put it. It must be downstairs, but I meant to uh, drop in. There's a really good sketching book. It's called Astronomical Sketching by Erica Ricks and a few other people. And uh, anyway, I think Handy, George Handy. Anyway, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, that, that's a great book to get. Um, and I have a copy and I was going to lend it to you. But uh, anyway, um, so I think it was a week ago, just over a week ago, I 
was looking for a box and I grabbed this, but I'm like, this would be a great box to put all this stuff in for Sheen. So I opened it up and it had a Protostar, which is a company that makes um, uh, telescope parts basically. And then it had this uh, curve uh, secondary, and then it has the, uh, I think one and a half or 1.8 inch, uh, you know, 99% mirror diagonal, never been opened, never been used and all the mounting hardware for it. And I bought it because I was going to stick it in my, uh, eight inch, uh, Dobsonian that I had. And then, mm-hmm. um, that telescope, uh, was, was back where I'm from back in Nova Scotia. And uh, I don't know what happened to it, but the next time I went home, all that was left was the mirror. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, I don't know what happened to the tube or anything. Like, like, like that just, like, it's a big tube, right? That just doesn't go missing. So I don't know if they put it somewhere and then it got water damage and they were like, oh, we've been on show Chris this. And uh, anyway, so it's just the mirror and the mirror is quite badly tarnished. And the mirror is also, unfortunately in this um and like permanently affixed to to this iron mirror cell and it weighs like holy moly i don't know how much it weighs like 10 pounds for an eight inch mirror an eight inch mirror itself should only weigh like what a couple pounds if that yeah i'm not i'm not too sure those mirror blanks can be pretty thick but like it's been so long since i've lifted a a mirror like taking a mirror out of its tube for cleaning um and the last one was you know my 12 inch which was pretty substantial but uh yeah yeah, i don't know what they would weigh well this one it was a conical mirror and celestron had made them and said oh well we've got these really light mirrors in them but then i think that they had not factored the fact in them (laughs) made these really light mirrors and so uh oh they won't balance so we'll just put in like a 10 pound iron mirror cell with it um Hmm. So it's, and it's bolted right to it. So you'd have to, I, I think it would be messy to try to do much with it, unfortunately. So anyway, so I had bought this uh, Protostar set. I should probably sell it because I think it's worth at least a couple hundred bucks anyway. And then what else did I find in there? I found, uh, I knew I had this, um, a friend gave it to me, uh, my friend Randall, and it's a 12 millimeter illuminated reticle eyepiece. And I've often thought we should, we really, I really should put it in the case because one, it's small, um, doesn't take up any room, it's light. And then, you know, sometimes we're looking at a double star and we're, we're trying to say, okay, well, like how far is it or where is it? And I think we can actually, and I think this is one of the reasons why I gave it to me is, is for using it for such purposes. Then we could actually like measure that and, and kind of get it properly oriented uh, using, using that eyepiece. You might have to put it in like a Barlow or something, but, uh, well, but anyway. So- so question about the reticle, is it just like a, a crosshair reticle or is it like an astrometric reticle? I, honestly, I've never, I've never plugged it in. Oh, cause so, it, you know, if it's just a regular crosshair reticle, um, I'm not sure, you know, maybe you could use it for some double star measurements, but if it's astrometric, um, that's really intriguing. I've always kind of wanted one of those eyepieces that I just have never pulled the trigger but they have the ability, like you calibrate it with your telescope. Uh, I think probably focal length is the biggest factor there. Um, and the eyepiece, you know, the eyepiece is, is fixed, right? So you, there's some sort of calibration technique. Okay. But it's then ast- it's astrometric. Wow, that's really cool. So then you can measure the separation uh, between double stars uh, once everything's calibrated. Um, but you can also measure the, uh, the angle that they're at as well. There's a little angle thing. And, uh, like I say, I've always been intrigued by these, uh, astrometric eyepieces. I've just never, never purchased one yet. So they're, you, you can do some real citizen science. Yeah. It's got like, uh, a, I'm just looking at this on online and anyway, I, I should, uh, I should be bringing that out because we, we for can sure, do yeah. some of the stuff that we're doing. For sure. And uh, I definitely appreciate that. Actually, kind of surprised. Like it, it doesn't feel like much. So I assumed it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, I, th- I thought it was like maybe like a $10 eyepiece or something, but it's not. These are like a hundred bucks American. Yeah. Yeah. They're not cheap. Um, no. Bader makes one and I think they put it in an ortho because um, most of these astrometric eyepieces are in like modified acromat eyepieces, which are not usually, you know, that's what this is. Yeah. Yeah. It's an they're not yeah. usually the highest contrast, but, um, the Bader one, I think is also like 300 euros or something like that. Ooh. It's, 
It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely we could use it, especially when we're trying to sort out like sometimes where something is or whatever. Anyway, that, that could be useful. Then the other thing I found was, and I totally had forgotten about this. I feel a little bit bad because I, I think Mark had lent me uh, this and I traded him off my crosshair eyepiece that was a 25 millimeter ortho for this, which is a the one that I found was the 23, 23 millimeter Celestron Ultima wide angle, which is something like a 69 degree 23 millimeter eyepiece that, that basically maxes out or gets close to maxing out the true field of view for one and a quarter inch. And uh, anyway, so kind of kind of to, to move this ahead, um, I get out a few nights with the Borg Mini, uh, the 50 millimeter scope uh, that I bought from you, which is this tiny little 50 millimeter. It's basically like a spotting scope um, that you can use as a finder. You, it has these all these different configurations you can do with it. Um, but I, I put that 23 millimeter Ultima in my Amici diagonal, which is a correct image diagonal. And, uh, I gotta say, I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> yeah. How come it, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty dim. I was surprised mm-hmm. how, how dim this, this older eyepiece was. Um, it's, it's maybe a little bit dirty, but, uh, I, I don't know if, if this little bit of dirt on it could account for how dim the eyepiece was. Um, Cause I pulled that out and then I put in my 20 millimeter Pentax, um, which is not a brand new Pentax 20 millimeter. It, it, it is a 10, 10 year old eyepiece. I think the, uh, or maybe it's a 12 year old eyepiece anyway. And uh, the, uh, the Celestron's probably 30 years old or close to it. Um, but man, oh man, like the difference was unbelievable. And the, the Ultima was very, um, soft on the edge. Like you Hmm. really lost the edge. Now the Pentax isn't even known for having a very good edge. No, no, especially that one. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's like a little bit defocused at F5 and in such a, such a field curvature, rich (laughs) little telescope, but the Ultima was, I don't know that I would use it to be frank. Um, and, so I should. And is that, is that. that Ultima one of the pseudo Masuyumas? Probably. Yeah. yeah it looks like yeah, it. I, I've just found those to be not, not sharp, you know, especially in faster telescopes. Now, uh, you know, and I've used, uh, I had a 12 and a half millimeter Celestron Ultima. Um, it wasn't bad, I, I guess, but even a, a TAC LE that I had, Takahashi LE 10 millimeter, I wasn't super blown away by the sharpness across the entire field. Um, so I don't know if it's just that design. Yeah, well, or, this or one, nah, yeah. I, I don't know. Cause even, even in the center, like the difference with, uh, like the Orion Nebula, like, boy, you could hardly see the nebulosity. Like it was there, but it looked almost just like maybe flare from a star kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but in the Pentax 20, like it was, it was apparent. And then what I did is actually switched to the, uh, to the, uh, Takahashi prism diagonal that I bought from you, which okay. by the way, I really, really appreciate you gave me, you gave me a really good deal on that. I'll, uh, I'll definitely buy you a beer sometime. Cause that, that's a really <laughs> nice, no, it is like sort of all joking aside. It's a really, it's a really nice diagonal. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I wanted one for a long time. And, uh, it's one of those things where I didn't want to buy one new, but I wanted to get one in like perfect use condition because it's not something I'm going to use all the time, but in situations like this, I need a one and a quarter inch diagonal. And then sometimes when I'm looking at planets, I want, uh, just that little bit of, uh, extra throughput. And this one's supposed to work really well with the, uh, with the refractor that I use on planets. So uh, I have really wanted it, but it's sort of so specific. I didn't want to jump in and pay full price for something. So anyway, I really appreciate uh, being able to buy it off you. So anyway, I, uh, I put that in and the difference, the difference that that diagonal makes versus my old Amici prism, which now is um, just about 30 years old. I bought it in 94 or 95, no, 96 or 97, maybe 97 or 98 even. So I guess that would be 24, 25 years ago. Anyway, I, I barely had my license then. <laughs> so that's how, that's how old it was. I think I, I got my license to drive a car. And one of the first things I did is I drove down to the States and I 
tried to buy a telescope that didn't fit in the car. Anyway, um, so I switched off to the to the attack, and uh, boy, it's just like a whole new sky, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pretty big difference, pretty big difference there. So, yeah, I was yeah. kind of surprised at that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, that uh, that little tack prism. You know, you and I have complained about the Takahashi compression ring that is on like tack focusers, but I found that that compression ring on the diagonal, maybe it's just the positioning, but it seems to work a little bit better. Yeah, it didn't seem to be a problem. Didn't seem to be a problem. I also have, um, I don't know where it is. I gotta, I gotta dig it out. It might be in the bottom of my eyepiece case, but I bought um, an adapter tube and I think I can just slide that in. And then it has like a set screw if I want that. So I can oh, actually yeah. just, yeah, I, I bought that for the, uh, for the Nikon, man, this, this is getting pretty specific on some equipment, but this is, this is what you get into folks. Um, <laughs> but I, I end up buying that. Um, it's kind of like a little extension tube so that I could put, um, get a little bit more power out of that Nikon Barlow. Mm-hmm. I think I get like, 2x with it or something like that anyway um but i haven't really used it for that so uh and it was i just bought it because it was a pretty cheap part maybe it was like 10 bucks or something like that um and i was buying some other things i was buying the nikon barlow and i was buying something else and i thought well i'll just throw this into the to the mix in case i want it because uh if i buy that and then have to pay shipping on top of that um, it's going to be ridiculously expensive for a $10 part. So anyway, I just threw it in, but haven't really used it much yet, but just one of those things where kind of having a lot of different parts around eventually like, Oh, well I could use it for this. Right. So that might be what I use it for in the end, but, uh, but no, I, I thought it was fine. Um, the Borg mini, I got to say, and I'm going to, this is sort of where I get into talking about the Borg mini. Um, I headed out on, on two or three nights, I think three nights. And I guess, I guess I didn't, I guess it must've been Sunday night I had it out. So I think I didn't talk about it last week. I talked about getting it from you. I didn't talk about using it. So the first night I had that out, I put a two inch diagonal in and man, I was so hopeful that my eyepieces would come to focus my big two inch eyepieces, but they would not come to focus in that. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. The, the two inch diagonal just adds a lot to the light path and then like at least when I was trying to use two inch eyepieces and I think you had the same issue, there's just not enough inward travel distance, uh, to, to focus the eyepiece. So you need different Borg parts to make it all work. Yeah. In my, so my 30 millimeter, um, wide scan three, which is an older, like Koenig or something like that, or Koenig hybrid design from years back. It, it's actually, um, it was a, it was a redo of the Masayama 30 or 32. Um, it was like a clone knockoff when they stopped making the Masayama originally. Anyway, so I put that in, it's, it's not even close. It needs probably at least half another inch of in focus, but I was really disappointed when I put the Pentax 40 and even though it would cut off some of the light path, um, I was really disappointed because it's, it was close. Like it was close to focus by maybe, I don't know, maybe five or six millimeters. So it's just like, oh, okay. dang, that just is not great. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get it to get it to go. But then I put the, because uh, I have, I have other two inch eyepieces too. In fact, I have one I didn't even try yet. I have the, I bought a discounted, really old, new stock, thirty-five millimeter Orion um, Ultra View, which I know is going to be bad on the edge, but. Maybe, maybe it has more outward focus. I got to try that. But then I tried the Dr. 12.5 millimeter, which is my most expensive eyepiece. And uh, man, it, it needs a lot of out, like it needs a lot of out focus. Oh, wow. And, and so I had to actually go out almost well about an inch out of focus from there. And it, and it focused and wow, that eyepiece performs in this little telescope that is the best eyepiece in this little telescope. Like you could live with that. Yeah. Like that probably is just going to live in there almost. Um, and so it would come to focus in the two inch format. And probably if I put it in the uh, one and a quarter inch adapter, I haven't done yet that yet, or, or in the tack um, diagonal, it would, it would, it would come to focus too. Uh, I'm sure. 
Um, but anyway, it was sharp to the edge, gives a just over four degree field of view. Um, but it was, I think it was pretty much sharp right to the edge, if I'm recalling wow. correctly. I think that's awesome. Field, yeah. And now I think that doctor is originally designed more for spotting scopes. So I don't know if that comes into play or hmm. what. Um, but it it really, really performed superbly, like shocking how good that eyepiece was in that little telescope. I mean, you realize that, you know, you're putting in an eyepiece that um, costs a few times more than the instrument that you have it in. But uh, <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, it was it was pretty cool, pretty cool uh, session to have with that. So then um, one of the other things I did is I swapped around between the Amici, um, my old University Optics Amici prism and the TAC prism. And uh, I had some really weird findings. <laughs> Oh, really? I'm not sure if you read the notes here, but so, so I, I had the uh, Pentax and I was like, okay, well, this Pentax works better than the Altima. So I'm going to go back and forth a bit with the, with the diagonals. And so on axis and the light throughput of the tack, well, nothing beats it. Like, boy, it puts through tons and tons of light. And it also uh, was very sharp and, and crisp in the center. Now, the Amici prism, Amici prisms are known for this. It kind of, I don't know whether it's scattering the light or what it's, but you can actually see the prism, like when you look in, right? And so you know the light's going to be kind of bouncing around in that in there. So you get some spikes on stars and almost looks like the stars are a little bit double in places and stuff like that. However, um, the edge of the field is way sharper in the um, Amici prism. <laughs> really? And so the Amici prism comes out of an F4 instrument. And I, I wondered if maybe um, when University Optics made those, they had them optimized for, the, for fast, really fast focal ratios because it also did this. It gave this weird, and I got some of this with the TAC and maybe it was just the Pentax eyepiece. This needs more experimenting, but um, I found that it gave almost like this crazy globe effect with the, uh, with the Amici, where it was just like you were observing in a ball. So what, what happens is that with these really fast um, telescopes, like an F5, or, or I should say not necessarily fast, but um, short focal length of 250 millimeters, you're, you're looking kind of like you're looking in a globe that's going to be like, I think around 70 or 80 millimeters in diameter or something like that. And um, typically what happens with uh, set eyepieces in, in the diagonals is that you're gonna be uh, in focus at the center of the field of view. And then kind of as you, as you get out on the, you know, sort of towards the, um, the greater part of the curve in your field of view, things are just gonna fall out of focus. And that's kind of the way the Takahashi worked. So it worked as expected. But with the Amici prism, it was, it was almost all in focus. It was out of focus on the edges uh, a little bit, but, but I would say the majority of the field was in focus. But when you panned around, it was, it was weird. It was just like, kind of like holding a magnifying glass up to the sky or something like it was like really wacky. Hmm. That's kind of, you know, bizarre. <laughs> Pr yeah. Prisms are weird, can be weird creatures. And uh, I've never played with an Amici prism before. So I'm sure that that just adds another degree of weirdness. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely does. I really wish that I, I wish I could get the old um, university optics modified because it, it's a great set of lenses. It's F4, I think, and it's a 50 millimeter, but it's in this tube. And then um, the tube is, is reasonably heavy, although I think most of the weights in the Amici, the Amici is very heavy. And, and there are some brass parts and different things. And then uh, as well, like you can't change, um, like it doesn't have much in the way of focus. Like your focus is just the draw to, or the, uh, the nose piece of the, uh, of the Amici diagonal. Like that's it. That's oh. what you have, have to focus, unfortunately. So, and I found that most eyepieces just wouldn't come to focus with it. Like some, you can get some orthos too. And, I think the Ultima did, and it's like just a handful of eyepieces. So you're very limited. Although it looks like its own little standalone telescope, which is really what I was hoping to get when I bought it. Um, it didn't quite achieve that, which is uh, 
what I'm looking for with the with the mini board. Like I really want to be able to uh, to use different eyepieces. Like especially like to be able to use the uh, the Doctor Twelve and a Half in it. Um, if I'm using it as a standalone spotter, uh, it's pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, so, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Now, yeah, we're kind of getting getting on, and we do have a listener email, but I do want to mention the other thing that I was testing because I think you'll be really interested in this. <laughs> it's funny. I haven't been out observing in, in a while, and then now I'm doing so much. Uh, it should be good. Um, I, I received those binoculars. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're very, very interesting. <laughs> so this very, is the 7 by 35 Cardinal binoculars with uh, like 12 degree field of view? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I was looking at Orion with them last night and I could actually get the belt of Orion, the sword of Orion, and then like the feet of Orion, like all in the Whoa. same field of view. Wow. That's incredible. So they are, yeah, they are huge. Now sort of there, there's good and there's, there's bad with it. I think the bad part is mostly me, unfortunately, but I got them and I took them out into the yard. I sent you the photo they, they arrived, I guess, on Friday or something. And anyway, yesterday, I kind of, I, I was a little bit reluctant to even open them up because um, they just like basically thrown in some some cheap packing paper, threw them in a box, like not even wrapped up tight in the packing paper. So they're kind of like loose in the box and then just tape. This is just a standard eBay shipping UPS, USPS box and then threw them in the mail. So like when I pulled it out of the mailbox, it was like clunk, clunk, like you could feel it like rattling around inside. And I was like, oh, geez, this isn't going to be good. Um, But anyway, I opened them up yesterday, sent that photo to you. And then I took them out to look across. And there's there's a field not too far from my house. And so I'm looking across this field at all the bunny rabbits in it. And I'm like, it's, they're like, they're good. You know, and the first thing I did is I raised them up and I tried to look through them with my glasses on. And these are old binoculars, typically old binoculars you can't use your glasses with. Um, but these ones I can probably see about seven degrees of the field, even with my glasses on, because it's so wide. That's pretty good. Now that's probably the sharp field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest mm-hmm. is it drops off pretty, pretty quick. And now, especially when I take my glasses off. So I have astigmatism and that will cause stars to appear astigmatic as you get out into the outer field anyway. So at night, um, when I was panning around like Orion, um, having that huge field of view, it is cool. But boy, by the time you get to the outer field, it kind of looks like a long exposure of Polaris. You know, when you have the star streaks <laughs> like mm-hmm, around mm-hmm. like that, you kind of almost get that kind of sense. It's, uh, it's pretty wild. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's been my experience with any of those older seven by 35 ultra wide binoculars is sure. The field is outstanding in terms of the size, but there's such a drop off at the edges. Um, like I, I just, I have a hard time, you know, dealing with that. I, I don't like it. And astigmatism for sure will contribute to that. And I have uh, astigmatism in my right eye. But even like when I close that eye and I'm just looking through, you know, one barrel of those ultra wide binoculars, they're still not that sharp to the edge. Like, you know, the outer 20 or 30% is, is, you know, not good at all usually. And like, I have some good ones, like the town and countries are uh, seven by 35, 10 degree field of view. And I just, uh, maybe I have a bad set, but I, I just don't care for them because of the edges. Yeah. I've definitely looked through a few pairs. These, these are probably the best pair I have. Now I'm going to say this though, this was interesting is that um, during the day panning around with them, they're amazing. Like I'm, a, I'm actually thinking I'm going to keep them. I'm not going to spend any more money getting them fixed up and modified. So they were, I paid 82 bucks for them. And then I paid quite a bit in shipping because that had to come to Canada and blah, blah, blah. Um, so this is around like a hundred dollar Canadian binocular. I definitely think it's worth that. And actually on the night sky, um, is interesting, but during the day, like, like Shane, like scanning around like a large open field, like the fields, like we have down in the grasslands, mm-hmm. there are like nothing beats them because you really don't, don't lose the edge. The edge is actually, the edge is sharp. Like it's like, it's fine. It's just a little bit out of focus really is all it is mm-hmm. and kind of smear because of the, uh, the, the wide field. Like these are so wide. Like it almost felt like when I was looking at the field and kind of sweeping across the field, 
it almost felt like there wasn't even a binocular there. Like it was, it was pretty ridiculous. And the other thing is, although there are only seven power, the image scale was huge. Hmm. So there was that. You know, another thing that I really like about a lot of those older seven by 35s is how light they are too. Like they're so comfortable to hold to your eyes and and just take in a feel like uh, whatever you're looking at, you can do it for a long period of time because there's just, there's very little weight in your hands. They're quite nice to use. Not these ones. Oh, Not they're heavy. <laughs> yeah, they weigh about they weigh about a kilogram or maybe a, a, a maybe forty ounces. I don't, they are heavy. Okay. Okay. They are really and I'll I'll say this though, Shane. They they are neat. I'm I'm not I'm keeping them. Um, they're very neat binoculars. I think they'll be really fun to have have around. I didn't spend that much on them. So, um, but to be able to take them into the grasslands and then, um, you know, if you were, if you were taking somebody out to kind of show them some stuff, it's a great binocular to hand somebody cause they're going to find stuff really easily with them. It, mm-hmm. It's a neat, uh, binocular to have. It's very heavy though. Like way, it's going to be way better to have, um, seat it. Um, but yeah, just out in my front yard, five minutes and, and I was done. Like my arms were getting too tired. So, mm. Time for more push-ups. Yeah, I do. I try to do 10 every morning. All right. So you know what, though? I'm thinking that um, we have a listener email, but I think we're going to bump that ahead, uh, Sean's email, because I think it actually fits really well with the next episode. So if you're okay with that, we can do that. And uh, maybe you have something else to add, though, before we uh, sign off. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Let's defer that email to the next episode and nothing else to add, sir. All right. Thanks so much, Shane. Thanks, Chris. All right. Bye. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.